the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We closed out the week last week with a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. We'll revisit this parable next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. The Ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. With our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, we welcome you to the broadcast. As mentioned just a moment ago, last week we closed out the week with a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, this is a parable that I think is familiar to most, if not all of us, especially those of us in the kingdom of grace. We're looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. The beautiful significance of the parable is laid out for us in grand fashion. Join us and be encouraged. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. It's easy to give to some organization that's passing money out to people somewhere else. It's another thing to get dirty in somebody's life. People right under your nose, fellow church members and friends and family, who because of age or sickness or new babies or some difficulty or some other crisis needed neighbors helping hand. They need cooked meals help with work around the yard. They need transportation to the doctor, babysitting assistance, or some other type of attention or help. I can't stand it. I've got to help her or him in some way. But then maybe you justify, if you're like this young lawyer, your lack of compassion by saying, well, I'm not really into cooking meals. and I'm not into baking casseroles. I don't particularly care for babysitting. I'm not into cutting grass. That's not what I'm good at. That's not what I like to do. And you know, I'm really too busy with other important things anyway. My, my schedule's just too full. And, and I don't live near that person. And besides that, we're not personally close. And the best of all, no one ever helps me when I'm sick or in trouble. Anyway, they have other friends. There are other people who can help them. And besides, I have my own problems that are much worse than theirs. So the first thing involved in neighborly love is compassion. The second thing is giving. Neighborly love manifests itself in giving just like God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 1 John 4.10 says, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but He loved us and set His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans 5.8 God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Neighborly love does not only give of ourselves, of our energy, of our resources to help the needy. It moves us to give ourselves to the needy to help them. Do you know what neighborly love is not? It is not just throwing money at the needy. 
neighborly love like this man had is taking this victim, blotty, dirty, who knows what he is, picking him up in his arms, holding him, trying to heal him the best way he knew how. Neighborly love is not giving of yourself, it is giving yourself to another person. Isaiah 58.10 says, And if you give yourself and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like the midday. A neighbor gives himself and his time and his love and his life and his energy, just like God gives to us because he loves us. One man has said, love binds upon and soothes the wounds of life. Love helps until it is no longer within one's power to help. Have you ever helped that much? Love forgets about oneself and thinks only of the other. Neighborly love moves a person to pour out his life into the life of someone else. That's biblical imagery, my friends. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 2.17? He said, Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Have you ever felt poured out, drained, empty, because you have been serving someone in need? Well, that's what neighborly love does. And yet at the same time, neighborly love involves obedience to the law of God. You don't break the law of God to help a needy person. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfilling of the law of God. That's the definition of love. Love is the fulfilling of the law of God. There's no such thing, my friends, as lawless love. Any attempt to love your neighbor in disobedience to the law of God is doing wrong to your neighbor. You love another person, someone in need, when you do what God says you're supposed to do in reference to that person because you love the law of God and you love the lawgiver and you are to do it with wisdom. However, you don't do it in a way to subsidize an evil lifestyle of any person. Proverbs 28, 17 says, A man who was laden with guilt of human blood will be a fugitive unto death. Let no one support him. The picture here is of someone who was a murderer. But he could be a drunkard. He could be a dope addict. He could be a rapist. And he's been running from the law. His mouth is parched. He hasn't eaten in days. He's probably wounded from being shot by the police. He has a high fever. Running from the law, he comes to your door. And you recognize his face as a fugitive. Let no one support him. I don't care if it's your brother. I don't care if it's your father. I don't care if it's your uncle. I don't care how he's related to you. Do not support him if he's breaking the law of God. Neighborly love is guided by the law of God. If the new t- in the New Testament, if a man doesn't work, what does it say? Especially when he can work, neither should he eat. Neighborly love obeys the law of God. 
And then neighborly love is rooted in our love for God, not for man. We do love other people, but we obey God's commandments because we love Him. This parable is not a story about humanitarian philanthropy. It's not a story about a Boy Scout doing a good deed. It's a story about a man who loved God, manifesting that love for God in the life of a needy person. Love is love for God, first of all. When you get right down to it, there's basically only one all-embracing commandment. Only one all-embracing law, and that is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you love other people because you love God, whether you have warm, fuzzy feelings toward others or not. If we hate our neighbors, we cannot love God. If we love our neighbors, we show that the love of God fills our hearts. And what has said, when the love of God fills our hearts and floods our souls... It is love that is revealed to all who cross our path and need our help. Another thing that is involved in showing of neighborly love is this, and remember this well, that this love for God that manifests itself in neighborly love comes to its finest and fullest expression in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as Christians seek to take care of each other. The local church, love for God and neighbor, reigns supreme in the hearts of God's people. And His love is the bond of Christian fellowship between us. This love is manifested in the sacrificial giving of ourselves for and to each other. We forget ourselves and our own personal comfort, needs, and pleasures to help those who are one with us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we help each other to whatever extent it is possible. This neighborly love is also revealed in all of life's relationships for a Christian. Our relationship to our wives or husbands, our parents and children, to friends, to associates. We are to love outside the church. But this neighborly love comes to its best expression within the local church. This bond of love that manifests itself in caring for each other in Christ is also one of the most convincing witnesses that we can ever offer to the world concerning the truth of the gospel. It's very convincing, beloved. If you act as a good neighbor toward everyone, even those who rub you the wrong way in the church, you're doing something the world out there cannot do. There's no more convincing truth of the gospel than showing neighborly love in the church. Now let me make a clarification. After all of this, it is an unalterable truth that the people of God are to hate those who hate God. Turn to Psalm 139, verses 19 to 22. Psalm 139, 19 to 22. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thy enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. In Second Chronicles 19, verse 2, King Jehu to the prophet Joseph, Je- Jehoshaphat says, Should you help the wicked? And love those who hate the Lord? 
and so bring wrath on yourself from the Lord? Now, these verses are often read today without a true biblical spirit. But they are true. And remember, we can't interpret one passage of Scripture as so to contradict another passage of Scripture. Is it possible for the child of God to love those whom he knows hates his Father in heaven? We manifest godly hatred by keeping those who hate God outside the Christian fellowship of the church. Oh, we bring them here to hear the preaching, but we keep them outside the fellowship and membership of the church. We, we can have no real communion with them. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with a non-believer? The person who professes to love God and still loves this wicked world that hates God and who seeks the approval of this wicked world and who fellowships with this wicked world and who gives in to the seduction of this wicked world shows that he does not love God at all. Do you think that's an exaggeration? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we must take these verses seriously. But then after taking them seriously, it does not alter the truth, the parable of the Good Samaritan, nor does it relax the demands of that parable on us. Although we are commanded by God to hate those who hate God, this hatred is in itself a manifestation of love for God, who loves himself supremely, and who says that he hates all workers of iniquity. So in loving God, the Christian hates this wicked world that hates him. And the love of God that consumes us, fills us with hatred for those who hate our God. Nevertheless, and listen carefully, we must love those that hate us and despitefully use us. But we do not love the wicked haters of the world with the love that we have for each other. That love of fellowship and intimate communion and oneness with Christ. That is a love we only share for each other in the body of Christ. But we show the unbeliever the love of God that he has placed in us by feeling compassion for them in their suffering and their need. By hurting when they hurt. By not being able to stand it when we see them suffer. We are to be moved by their anguish and suffering and their need and their pain. Love fulfills the law of God toward other people. Now, Gary, you're saying that we're supposed to hate some people and we're supposed to love them at the same time? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. You're not misunderstanding me. We are to hate them and we are to love them. Now, of course, how does one do that? Well, you can't do it if you, your love is merely a feeling. And that's what it makes this all difficult to understand. If love is a nice, warm, fuzzy little feeling inside, and there's someone who tortures your parents to death, 
you're not all of a sudden going to have this warm feeling toward these torturers. What is love again? Love is fulfilling the law of God. Love is treating even that person who is a threat to your family in such a way that however you respond to them, you do whatever the law of God commanded you to do, and you do not break the law of God toward that person who is breaking the law of God toward you. That is love. It's not a warm feeling. Love is fulfilling the law of God toward another person, whether that person is worth it or not. Whether you're getting anything out of it or not. Whether you feel like showing it or not. That's what love is. In this case, it seeks God's justice. Hate is to despise the wicked's deviance against God and to do everything you can do within the borders of the law of God to expose his deviance and resist and suppress it and overcome it. Let me tell you how pastor and author Nigel Lee loved and hated his enemy at the same time. Several years ago, Nigel's older father in his 80s was clubbed to death by a man who did it just for a handful of dollars. The man was arrested and placed in jail. Nigel Lee went to the jail to meet the man that killed his father. He hated him and he loved him at the same time. When Nigel met the man in jail, he told him, Sir, I'm praying for you. That if you killed my father, you will get justice in the courts of South Africa. And you will be sent to your death. And then he said, sir, when you are executed, you will go to hell. The man fell down at Nigel Lee's feet crying. And he said to Pastor Lee, I don't want to go to hell. And then Nigel presented him the gospel. And led that man to Christ. And later, he was still executed. His father's murderer, he led to Christ, my friends. And then over the next few years, Nigel led the members of this man's family, one by one, to Christ. Did Nigel hate this man? Oh, yes, he did. Did he love him? Yes, he did. When he went to that jail, did he have warm, fuzzy feelings for this man who killed his father? Absolutely not. Did he have warm feelings for this man after he accepted Christ? Oh, yes, he did. We are to hate those who hate God. But the demands of the Good Samaritan parable still stand. So when we find someone suffering, we don't ask, do you share my creed? Do you deserve my help? We act as good neighbors toward the person hurting or in need, and we show God's mercy to them without feeling the need ourselves to justify the compassion we feel. Where does this neighborly love come from? Well, I'll tell you, it is not natural. It's not something you can produce. 
1 John 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. We love because He first loved us. The kind of love that Jesus demands in the parable of the Good Samaritan is not something we can produce. It is something the Holy Spirit of God produces in those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, this parable of the Good Samaritan is far more profound than simply giving a lesson in human philanthropy. Some people see its lesson as only this, give to the poor, help the suffering, aid the dying, support a welfare system, and the kingdom of heaven will be yours. This parable is far more profound. Neighborly love is produced by and rooted in God's love for us in Christ. We help others not to be praised, not to satisfy our inner emotional needs, but to please our God because he lo we love Him for saving us. Remember the lawyer's question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Neighborly love characterizes those who will inherit eternal life. That is to be sure. But we love others because God first loved us. While we were yet sinners, God revealed His love for all by sending His Son to die for us. He loved us when we had no love for Him. He loved us when we hated Him. He loved us while we were yet sinners. He loved us when we couldn't and didn't want to obey the law of God. In fact, He loved us then so much that His own beloved Son from His heart was not too great a gift to save us who hated Him. When we could not keep the law of God, Jesus did it for us. He loved God perfectly in our place. He loved God all his life long. He loved God while he was dying on the cross. And it is only because of him that we love at all. He turns our hearts from hatred for God to love for God. We love God because he first loved us. We love God by the power of the love of God in Christ that he placed in us. By his death on the cross, the Lord Jesus merited love and life for us. So from his own life, he creates the life of love in us. So then to love is to have eternal life. To love is to live. To live is to love for the Christian. And this is true only in the hearts of those in whom God creates the power to love. So then who is my neighbor? It is anyone who crosses my path and needs my help. But let's not keep asking that question. The more important question is, whose neighbor am I? We must see ourselves as neighbors to anyone who needs us. So the Word of God remains self-sufficient. He who observes the law perfectly will live forever. He who always loves God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and his neighbor is himself, will inherit eternal life. But no one has ever been able to do that. And no one will ever be able to do that except the Lord Jesus Christ.
No one has ever loved God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind. No one has ever loved his neighbor completely as himself. And because of the truth of the fact that imperfect obedience to God's law, however sincere, is not accepted by God, and because God's judgment that the wages of sin is death are both irrevocable truths, we can be absolutely certain that no human being will ever have real eternal life by good and by being good and loving and kind. This inability on our part to live and love perfectly in this life does not do away, however, or remove the obligation to live out Jesus' words at the conclusion of this parable. I have shown you how to be good neighbor. Now, go and do likewise. What he is telling us is not if if we live a good Samaritan life, we will deserve to go to heaven when we die. Rather, what he is saying to us is this, something far more profound. I have given you eternal life by grace through faith in me. And this new life will enable you to manifest real neighborly love toward other people rooted in heartfelt love for the living God. Therefore, Live a life of true and faithful love to God and of neighborly, sacrificial, self-giving love to other people through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in us, to everyone and anyone in need whom Jesus brings into our path. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. <music>